Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. so much for your giving. I do want to welcome uh, anyone that is new tonight. Thank you so much for being with us. Bethesda, will you let our guests know that you appreciate them being in-house with us? I know we have a few new faces tonight, so it's an honor to host you and your family. At this time, it's an incredible honor. It is every single time I get to introduce our speaker. Uh, I've known Pastor Ken for many years. Um, not only was he a pastor here in the state of West Virginia, but he returned closer to home, planted a church um, in the Cleveland, Ohio area, uh, and God has blessed that church plant um, to the tune of over 600 people are attending on the weekend now. I think you should give God a hand for that. It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, he's got, an, he's got a, an incredible preaching gift, a prophetic gift. God uses him powerfully. Uh, and more than all of that, for me, what's important is that he has always been a dear friend, someone that I can trust, someone that I look up to, that I glean from. Uh, he sent me uh, some stuff here a few months ago that, that absolutely helped me articulate some things uh, that, that I felt God was doing in the house. And so I'm just so appreciative of him and Pastor Jamie and what they're doing in Ohio at, at LifePoint Church. And, and so if you would, would you stand with me one more time and let's give a big Bethesda welcome to Pastor Ken Wright as he comes to share. Amen. Come on, can you let Pastor Chad know how much you appreciate him as well? Hey, do me a favor, before you're seated, turn to the person beside you and tell them you look absolutely amazing. Now the person you ignored, tell them you do too. Amen. Well, I'm not Big Daddy, but they have called me Big Poppy a time or two. And, uh, but it is so good to be back with what I consider family. Um, we've had a, just a really uh, long relationship with your pastor, Pastor Chad and Pastor Karen. And uh, I, I remember when you were, and I'm not even sure where I'm at, but somewhere over here with about 60 people. Yeah, I remember those days. And um, you, you, you have just been obedient to the call of God and uh, you have stepped out in faith trusting God for big things and uh, it just does my heart well when I drive up on your campus and I just see what God has done with faithful people can we just give God some praise right now can we give God some glory right now he has just been Amazing, And so to look around and see what God has accomplished here through your generosity, through your serving, through your obedience is just a testament to the goodness of God. Amen. And um, as Pastor Chad alluded to, we have been friends for, uh, I won't even, I don't even know how long. It's been a long time. But um, 
when we first started LifePoint Church, Pastor Karen, Pastor Chad came up, and they, they really helped us launch our church. And uh, all throughout different phases that we have been through, I've called him up and I'm like, hey, what did you do when you got to this place? Or what did you guys do? What do you think about this? And so, you know, just recently calling him up, hey, we're getting ready to start a third service. Can you help me out? He said, yeah, pray for God's grace because you're going to need it. <laughs> and um, so we just, again, I just love and appreciate you guys so much. You have been really a blessing to the right family, but also you have your your thumbprint is also on LifePoint Church too. So thank you. Would you let them know you love and appreciate them as well? And their children, I you know, I'm, I'm going to take the keyboard player home with me. Is that okay? I, I kind of look around every place I go and I'm like, what can I take home with me? An idea, a thought, well, I'm going to take a person home with me this time. And uh, we just love and appreciate their children and their you know, growing up and then they're, they're maturing and developing and have a heart for ministry. I think that's awesome, amen. Would you just let them know that you love and appreciate them as well. Um, I have an, uh, one of uh, or my armor bearer with me tonight, Tyson, and uh, he uh, drove down with me tonight. I thank God for him. Here's the unique thing about Tyson and I. Um, I am a, I'm a Buckeye through and through, okay? I know that doesn't go well here, but I am, okay? Um, I did spend six years in Beckley, and I have a daughter who graduated from Marshall. That didn't go over too well either. <laughs> As a matter of fact, she was Miss Marshall this, her senior year. So I do have a little bit of connection here, but... But when I say I'm a Buckeye through and through, I'm a Buckeye through and through. Well, the interesting thing about it is he is a Michigan fan. Yeah, yeah. We even had a little discussion about uh, Rich Rod when we came on our way down here tonight. So I don't want to bring anything up like that, but I don't want to kill the joy in the room right now. But, uh, and I'm like, what does light have to do with darkness? <laughs> Um, but uh, I look past his faults because, uh, you know, the Lord has brought him into my life and I, I appreciate him. Would you just let him know how much you appreciate him as well? And then th thank you for being here tonight. I know it's a Friday night and um, I know uh, weather-wise it is absolutely beautiful. And... Um, you know, where we are from, and I know you experience it as well, you know, we have about seven months of bad weather and we have a couple months of good weather. So when you get an opportunity to enjoy some good weather, you take advantage of that. So I just want to say thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for supporting um, this service tonight. And thank you for your faithfulness and dedication. If you have your Bibles or your smart device or however you track the Word of God these days. Maybe it's not going to be on the screen. I'd, I would invite your attention to John's Gospel, chapter 12. John's Gospel, chapter 12. And let's begin reading in verse 1. John's Gospel 12, verse 1 records these words. Six days before the Passover ceremonies began, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus was, 
the man he had brought back to life. The man that he had brought back to life. A banquet was prepared in Jesus' honor. Notice what's happening. Martha served, Lazarus sat at the table with him. Mary took a jar, there's a lot going on. Mary took a jar of costly perfume made from the essence of nard and anointed Jesus' feet with it and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with a fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who would betray him said, that perfume was worth a fortune, about a year's wages, was worth a fortune. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Now, not that he cared for the poor, but he was in charge of the disciples' funds and he often dipped into them for his own use. Jesus replied, let her alone. She did it in preparation for my burial. You can always help the poor, but I won't be with you very long. Verse nine, when the ordinary people of Jerusalem heard of his arrival, they flocked to see him and to also see Lazarus, the man who had come back to life again. Then the chief priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the Jewish leaders deserted and believed Jesus as their Messiah. I wanna to talk to you tonight on the subject of the Lazarus revival. The Lazarus revival. The first thing that I want you to notice or I wanna to bring to your attention is revival is God's arrival. It's an easy way to remember it. Revival is God's arrival. God simply shows up. Now, we know that God is omnipresent. We know that God is everywhere. We know that we've never been a place that God has not been. We understand that God is everywhere, but we also understand that there is a tangible uh, presence of God. You might describe it as the glory of God, which is the kabod of God, which is the weight of God. And even when, or if you don't understand anything about the glory of God, you know when it's there. Even sinners know when the glory, the kabod of God is in a room. His, his weight, if I could put it that way, just settles in a place. And you begin to feel the presence of God. Part of the evidence of God's presence in a place is transformation. People begin to experience transformation in their lives. In other words, their lives are changed for the better. Uh, churches experience corporately a transformation within the body. There is 
authentic life change that takes place within the individual, that takes place within the corporate body as well. Often that transformation is expressed by repentance or through repentance. Someone's life has been transformed. Repentance simply means to change your mind, to turn and go in another direction, the opposite direction of which you were headed. Life change, life transformation. Now, when Moses encountered God at the burning bush, God told Moses, don't come any closer, but take off your shoes. Don't take another step until you take off your shoes. Well, why would God say that? Why and what would that have to do with us? Because whenever you get in the presence of God, whenever you get in the glory of God, certain things need to be removed from our lives. The closer you get to God, the more God will reveal things to you that need to go. And sometimes it's, it's, it's not even sin. Sometimes it might be, as Paul described, a weight that's hindering us, weighing us down, restricting us from running the race that God has set before us. So when you get in the presence of God, God will require, God will speak to your heart and ask you to remove certain things. Now, if nothing changes, if there's not a transformation, if the person still is practicing the sin that so easily besets them, or if they still have unforgiveness, bitter, bitterness, resentment in their hearts, then I have to highly question whether or not they have had an authentic encounter with God. And I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm not here to, to try to um, legislate anything. I just have to question whether or not you truly have had an encounter with God. Because this is what I know. When Jesus walks into a room, when Jesus walks into a person's heart, everything changes. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord praise. Everything changes. Now, it doesn't mean for some people, you know, there is a, it's progressive, but there is some type of, you, you can identify there's been a change in my life. There's been a change in my heart. Um, I no longer desire things that I used to desire. I no longer long for things that maybe were not necessarily pleasing to God. There's a transformation that really begins to take place. So revival is God's arrival. It is marked by many times repentance. And then revival produces a hunger for the presence of God. It produces a hunger for the presence of God. Can I take my time tonight? Do we have to be anywhere at a certain time? Okay, we're not going to the club afterwards. Okay, all right. So just, just let me walk out with this for a little bit. 
So God's arrival, it's marked by repentance, produces a hunger for the presence of God. The more you are in the presence of God, the more of his presence you want. The more you desire, the more you long for his presence. What, what concerns me today is not this church, but many churches have replaced the presence of God with personalities. And then many, many Christians have replaced their pastor with personalities. Well, I follow so-and-so on such-and-such. Well, call so-and-so on such-and-such when you need <laughs> someone to pray with you or to visit you when you're sick or to bury your loved ones and see if... Yeah, so you can't replace your preacher, your pastor with a personality, right? And what concerns me uh, in the body of Christ today because of the easy access to certain things that we have replaced the presence of God with personalities. Because when we talk more about the person behind the pulpit than God himself, or when we talk more about the praise team on the platform, that's an indicator to me that we have somewhere lost the presence of God. And what happens is we end up mimicking Jesus, but never manifesting Jesus. Oh, I feel something moving right here. Never manifesting the glory of God. There has to be a hunger for the presence of God. That's why you're here on a Friday night. No one made you, you're here on a Friday night because you are hungry for the presence of God. I would rather have, I would rather have a room with people who are hungry for the presence of God than a room that is filled with people who are not hungry with the presence, for the presence of God. Because we'll get more done <laughs> and we'll see more happen when there is a hunger for the presence of God. So there must be a hunger for the presence of God, not just the person of God. Now that might sound a little bit odd and strange. There has to be a hunger for the, per, the presence of God, not just the person of God. Let me try to unpack that for a moment. Psalm 103 verse seven says, the children of Israel knew the acts of God or the works of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. Moses knew his ways. Let's put it this way, the children, the children of Israel knew about God. They knew the person of God. They knew the person of God because they had experienced the acts of God. Remember, when they were hungry, God fed them in the wilderness. So they experienced God, they knew him as a provider. They knew his acts, that he was a provider. They also knew that God was a protector. God protected them in the wilderness. But yet many within the two million who left Egypt, who left the world, did not long for the presence of God. They knew the acts of God, but they didn't know the ways of God. They were content with knowing about God, but not knowing God. 
And so we have people that are content with knowing the person of God, knowing about the person of God, I should say. That he's a provider, he's a protector, all of those things. But Moses not only knew the person of God, Moses knew the presence of God. He knew the ways of God. God revealed his ways to him because you cannot love a person until you know their ways. And you cannot know a person's ways unless you have spent time in their presence. Right? Now, we know about Pastor Chad. Karen knows Pastor Chad. Understand? Because she's in his presence She's with him. And so there has to be this longing, not just for the person of God, not just for, not just for the things of God or the provision of God. And all of those things are well. But, but remember, the, remember the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember when the enemy turned up the heat and said, we're going to turn up the heat and we're going to see if they really will, really will worship the God in whom they confess they serve. And the children, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said this to King Nebuchadnezzar. We know that God is able to deliver us. How many of you know he's able tonight? How many believe he's able tonight? But listen to what they said. Even if he chooses not to. We refuse to bow to you. We're, here's what they're saying. Here's what they're saying. They're saying, we are so in love with his presence that, we, that if he chooses not to deliver us, we know that he's still worthy of our praise. He's still worthy of our worship. He's still worthy of our service. Because we're not worshiping him just for what he can do for us. We're worshiping him because of who he is. Come on, take 10 seconds and give him praise right there. So Moses had a hunger for the presence of God. We know this because of his pursuit for the presence of God, because the proof of one's desire is seen in their pursuit. You don't have to tell me uh, through a conversation what you're pursuing. If you'll just give me time to watch you, I'll discover what you're after. And so it is your, the proof of it is in your pursuit. So it's one thing for us to say something. It's another thing for us to do something. <laughs> so rather than just saying, yeah, we're here. We're pursuing the presence of God. As a matter of fact, Moses des desired God's presence more than he desired God's provision, more than he desired God's protection. Moses wanted the presence of God. Because remember when God was fed up with his people? Remember what God said? God said, I made this promise. I made this promise to Abraham. God says, I'm going to give you a, a land. It's yours. The promised land, it's yours. And God got fed up with the children of Israel. And he told Moses, he said, look, it's yours. I'm a man. I will not lie. I cannot lie. He said, go in and you can have the promised land. And Moses backed up and he said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Moses said, what good are all of these things if you're not in it? 
What good are the houses that are completely furnished that we didn't build? What good are the vineyards and the farmlands and all the minerals that are in the land? What good are all of these things that you have provided if your presence isn't a part of it? Moses said, you can have the stuff, just give me you. That's how we know that Moses desired the presence of God more, more than anything else. Because what good is the stuff without him? Right? What good is it? What good is it without his presence? What good are the promises without the presence of God? Because promises in and of themselves will never satisfy. Possessions cannot take the place of the presence of God. David said, take it all away, God. Strip me of my title. Strip me of of, of, of all of the things that, that are, have been ascribed to me as the king. He said, God, take it all away if you want, but God, there's one thing I don't want you to take, and that is your sweet Holy Spirit, Lord. Do not, re do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. And we see this, we see this with celebrities and, and athletes and whomever who acquire things. And then, we, and then we see that they're depressed and they're suicidal and, you know, there's a void in their life because these things can never replace the void that God has put in our hearts. And the only thing that can fill that void is the presence of God. Amen? It is the presence of God. So revival produces a hunger for the presence of God. When you have the presence of God, you have the power of God. Moses had the power of God. See, we have it backwards. We want the power without the presence. It's because of the presence that the power manifests. And without the presence, the power doesn't manifest. So, so as we push in and pursue the presence of God, the power is just part of it. It's the benefit of it. Now, some of you are thinking, what in the world does this have to do with John chapter 12? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's a reason that Jesus is in the house at this time in our story. Jesus is with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus because he was invited to their house. Jesus was their honored guest because Jesus goes where he is celebrated, not tolerated. And so wherever they tolerated him, he left. Wherever he was celebrated, he remained. And that's why a lot of churches are void of the presence of God because they merely tolerate rather than celebrate the glory of God and the presence of God. So if you want the presence of God, you have to invite him and when he comes, you have to celebrate him. Amen? He will not habitate where he is tolerated. 
but he will dwell where he is celebrated. When you invite Jesus, he shows up. Jesus, we're going to throw you this party. Jesus said, I'll be there. I'm coming. You're the honored guest. And how many of you know, every time the doors are open, he is the honored guest. He is the honored guest. Would you just take a few seconds right now and just welcome him in this place? Come on. Come on. Just take a few seconds and welcome him. You're honored in this place, Jesus. We celebrate you. We celebrate you, Lord. So Jesus came because he was invited and he stayed because he was celebrated. He came because he was invited and he stayed because he was celebrated. And he does the same thing for you personally and he does the same thing for you corporately. When you invite, when you welcome, and when you celebrate him, he will stay and dwell among you. As a matter of fact, from this point on, right where we are in this story, from this point on, Jesus was no longer public with his ministry. Jesus could only be, um, how can I put this? It was by invitation only. If you wanted Jesus to show up, you had to invite him to show up. Because from this moment on, his ministry was no longer public. I want you to look at this scripture. It's found in John 11, 53 and 54. Watch this. So from that time on, and I'll show you what time that is, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, here it is, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people. And he left Jerusalem and he went to the place, this is where he's at now in our story, near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and he stayed there with his disciples. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, from what time did he stop his public ministry and why did he stop his public ministry? Well, after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, many people began to believe in him. And they started following Jesus. We know that. And so the Pharisees were losing a lot of their disciples. They started following after Jesus. They were also losing their influence in the region and among the people. So they got together and they said, we have to stop this because if we don't stop him, he's going to destroy us and our ministry. So they plotted to kill him from that moment on. And from this point on, the Bible tells us that Jesus was no longer public with his ministry. No more public sermons, no more public teachings, no more public miracles, no more public healings. He was no longer seen in public. He was no longer present in public. He was present, but not in public. He only came where he was invited and where he was celebrated. That's where you would find Jesus. So much like today, much like today, there is a plot to kill Christianity. 
I mean, you've had to be living under a rock not to know that. There is a plot to kill Christianity, the move of God, the church of God. And so the powers that be, which are driven by an antichrist spirit, want us removed from the public forum. They want to silence us. They want to get rid of us. They want us to go away. They don't like our values. They don't like our beliefs. They don't like our Christ. And they want to stop us. They want to keep us from being public. The problem is that the church has allowed itself to be regulated to within the four walls of the church. So we have our private gatherings, and so our faith has become even more private among ourselves. We're Christians, but we're just not public with it. Pastor, you're supposed to be preaching on revival. I'm getting there. This is just the introduction. We're going to get there. We're Christians, but we have allowed ourselves to be pushed off to the side, right? To try to silence our voice. But how many of you know that you cannot cancel the church? (laughs) It will never happen. You won't silence us. You won't kill us off. It will never happen. Why? Because Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall never prevail against us. Amen? So no matter how much they hate us, despise us, our values, our beliefs, our Christ that lives within us, we are not going away. And although we have been private, we are about to get public again with the presence and the glory of God Almighty. Oh, come on and take 10 seconds and give God praise right here. So people are looking for Jesus, but they're not finding him in public places because we as Christians, and I don't, I don't want to beat us up. I don't want to, I mean, we get enough of that from the world. But we cannot, cannot hide our light. Amen? But unfortunately, many people can't even find Jesus in churches today. <laughs> can, I just, can I just show you that it was no different in his day? People were looking for Jesus in, a, in the church and couldn't find him in the church. Look at this. John eleven fifty five 55 and 56 says this. It was almost time for Passover, Easter, resurrection. Many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so that they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. So this was a big deal. This is one of the three main feasts that all uh, Israel had to celebrate. So they had to shut down their business, shut down their schools, shut down agriculture. They had to travel to Jerusalem. It was a big deal. How many of you know that today, because of the busyness of our times, that it is a job just to get to church? 
It is. It is a job just to get to church. So saying all that, here they come. They kept looking for Jesus. But as they stood where? In the temple. The house of God. The place of God. As they stood in the temple looking for Jesus, they said to each other, what do you think? Is he going to come or is he not going to come? Is he going to be here for Passover or not be here for Passover? They are there because they want to see Jesus. Many of them were there because they were looking for Jesus, but they couldn't find Jesus. Now you would think if he was anywhere, shouldn't he be in the temple? Shouldn't he be in the place of worship? Shouldn't he be in his father's house? They were looking for Jesus in the house of God and they couldn't find Jesus in the Father's house. What an indictment against the church. When people come to our churches and they can find our programs, they can find our plans, they can find our preachers, they can find our teaching, they can find our singing, they can find our programs, but they can't find Jesus in the midst of it. The first thing that they need to see when they come to the house of God is Jesus. Why? Because he is the only one who can transform a life. The only one. The only one. He's the one. And they're wondering, where is Jesus? We want to see Jesus. Do you really know right now that there is a hunger in America for people crying out, they want to see Jesus and they don't even know that's who they're looking for. But there is a hunger in their hearts and they want something real. They want something authentic. They want something that's going to change their life. They want something that's gonna bring transformation in their life. They want something that's that, that will fill the void that's in their life, amen? And that something is the presence of God. He is the only one who can fill that void because what good are our churches if people don't see Jesus? There's a hunger and they want to see him, which leads me now back to our story. Look at verse 9 of chapter 12 again, coming full circle here. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, because revival is God's arrival, when people heard, now they're at the temple, they're looking for Jesus, he's not there. Where's he at? Where is he at? We need Jesus. We want to see Jesus. When they heard of his arrival, watch this, they flocked to see him. They flocked to see him. But also to see Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Now let me ask you a question. Where did they find Jesus? They found Jesus in a place or at the place where he was invited and where he was celebrated. That's where they found him. That's where they found him. 
They found him in a place where he was invited and he was celebrated. That's one of the things that I've always loved about this house. And that is because I know that you have sent out an invitation for the presence of God. That you have invited him into everything that you do and every area and aspect of ministry in this house. You have invited him and you have kept him by celebrating him. Through your service, through your worship, through your generosity. He came by invitation and by celebration and people are looking for a church that have invited the presence of God and celebrate the, the glory of God. So don't you dare back down on your worship. Don't you dare try to calm it down. As a matter of fact, turn it up. Turn up the intensity of it. Just let your voices be heard and keep, keep celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now watch this invitation because invitation is really seen in Mary and her her act in this particular story. Because the Bible said that Mary came out of nowhere and Mary took a jar of perfume and broke it open and just started pouring it on the feet of Jesus. Now I want you to notice something about this story. Mary broke all protocol when she did this because typically what would happen is they would take just a little bit of a dab of perfume before dinner and they would mix it with water and they would anoint the person or the guest feet. Mary said, I'm going to throw protocol out the window today because Jesus is in the house today. Amen. Protocol is gone and I'm not going to give him just a dab. Oh, church, help me right here. He's more, he's worth, he's worth more than just a dab. Amen. He's worth everything that I have and I'm going to pour everything that I have out on him today. So when we come into a place like we come into tonight, we're going to pour everything we have out onto him. Amen. We're going to give him our very best we're going to give him everything that we have because he is worthy. How many of you know it's time that we get out of our box? It's time that we break protocol and it's time that we act spontaneously to the glory of God and pour out a praise and pour out a prayer unto him. Come on, give him praise and give him glory right here. It is an act of spontaneous worship and prayer. Touch your neighbor and tell him, watch out. I may break out at any moment. I might break out just at any moment. I was thinking about this and uh, this was just a spontaneous act on her behalf. And I was thinking about how God is going to begin to move on intercessors. And there are going to be spontaneous acts of prayer just begin to flow out of you. Not just in church. Oh, I feel prophetic right here. Not just in church. Because I said we need to go public again with Jesus. 
Some of you are going to be in the grocery store and the Spirit of God's going to speak to you. And the Spirit of God's going to lead you down the frozen peace section. And you're going to walk up to somebody and you're going to say, I know you don't know me and you may think this is weird, but I'm going to pray for you because I feel like the Lord has something for you. And you're going to open up your mouth and you're going to begin to say something to them and it's going to check in their spirit what God has been talking with them and dealing with them about. Spontaneously, it's just going to come out of you and you're going to, you're going to think, what in the world did I just do? And they're going to begin to thank you because you know that God has touched their heart. Amen. People need, people need what we have. Get ready. It's going to happen. Amen. Get ready. It's going to happen. Revival is prayer bread. B-R-E-D. Mary broke protocol. First closing. Tyson will tell you then there's two more. But the people came because they wanted to see Jesus. But they also wanted to see Lazarus. Look at the story. The one who Jesus raised from the dead. Because people not only want to experience the presence of God, but they want to be part of a church that is alive and has been revived by the Spirit of God. And that's what Lazarus represents. He represents a church that is alive and a church that has been revived, brought back to life. That's what revival is. It is to bring back to life by the Spirit of God. Notice no one was visiting Lazarus this time. They were flocking to the room. They were flocking to where Lazarus was seated, where Lazarus was at. Let me put it this way. They were looking for a place where miracles have a place. Here's Lazarus. He's right at the table with Jesus. And he is a miracle. Not only does he represent a church that is alive, but he represents miracles, signs, and wonders. Amen? And as more and more churches begin to die spiritually, hungry people who are looking for Jesus and looking for a church that is alive and this is where I feel led to tell Bethesda, get ready because there is a second wave getting ready to hit this place. There is a second wave getting ready to hit this place and I'm gonna tell you why. Here's why. Because you have made room for Lazarus at the table. You have made room for revival. You have made room for miracles. And here's what you need to know. When people find out, and I'm speaking metaphorically, but get me, when people find out that Lazarus and Jesus are here, they're going to flock to this place. Come on, if you believe it, put your hands together and give me praise.
There is a wave, a second wave, that's getting ready to hit this house. New converts are coming to this house. God's getting ready to send them to this house. This is why Martha is so important to this move. What was Martha doing? What was she doing? Serving. Just as important as the presence of God, the glory of God, miracles, anointing, intercessory prayer, just as vital to the move of the Spirit of God is Martha. Service, serving. Serve teams, get ready. You're going to have to amp it up. I, I feel prophetic in what I'm telling you. When revival hits a place, that doesn't mean that we stop our serving and just hang out at the altar. No, that means that we continue to offer the gift of servant, servanthood, servitude to people. Right? Here's why. The people that are coming are going to see the Jesus that they're looking for through your service. Amen. It's going to happen. Do you believe it? Come on, do you really believe it? So Lazarus represents a revived church. He represents a church where miracles have its place. Mary represents the intercessory prayer that's needed. Martha represents the service, the teams that are needed. All of these key components are important to hosting the presence of God. All of it. And you all, you have it here. It's all here. Everything you need is here. You believe that tonight? Come on, can you just give the Lord praise? One of the things that I love about your pastor, how long have I been preaching? Here's one of the things I love about your pastor that he's not afraid nor ashamed of the supernatural. And, and that he's open to it. Amen. Because I'm going to tell you, there, there are many pastors who are not open to it. Because it will cost you initially it will, but that's okay. That's okay. As long as Jesus is at the table, it's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right. Amen. I'm going to land the plane. Can I land the plane? Let's land the plane. Jesus, Lazarus, Seated together, I want you to catch it, 
together at the table. What does that mean to us? Jesus is what? He's the Word. He's the Word that became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. Here's what I want you to understand. Miracles accompany the Word. Miracles are tied to the Word. Why is that important? It's important because it brings balance and it keeps people from manufacturing mayhem. See, miracles need to be in our churches. They need to be at our table. They need that table's fellowship. It needs to be part of our fellowship. But we need the word to balance it back out. So you need the word and then let miracles take place. The Bible says he sent his and their diseases. They go together. The word and miracles work together. Pastor Karen, I don't think people have a problem with miracles as much as they have a problem with the method of the miracle. <laughs> this is what throws them. Well, why? Jesus, why do you got to spit? and make a mud pie and rub it in the guy's eyes. I'm okay with the miracle. I'm just, the method's kind of messing with me. Why do I have to go dip in this dirty Jordan? And why do I have to dip seven times? Why don't you just pray for me right here I, I think I think people are okay with miracles especially if you need one I mean if you need one does it really matter the method it's used to get it The doctor sends you home and says, there's nothing else we can do. Go home, get your house in order. We've done everything we know to do. If a miracle was in your, on your doorstep, would you complain about the method in which it came? Just make sure the word is there. Just keep the word with the miracle, the miracle with the word. And don't get so caught on the method. Keep your eye on the maker. Amen. I want you to stand with me as I feel miracles beginning to settle in this room. And I apologize for taking more time than I probably should have tonight, but you make it easy to preach. You really do.
was a professor, Dr. Orr, took a group of theology students to England. They began to visit historical sites. And one of the places they went to was where John Wesley lived. Students walked throughout the house, through the kitchen and the living room and the study of John Wesley and his desk was still there, some books and things that he had written down. And then they took the students up to the upstairs and into the bedroom of John Wesley. As the students gathered in that room, one of the students noticed beside the bed there was a rug and there were two um, the rug had been worn out like where two knees went in what's the word I'm looking for yeah thank you and the student said well what happened here what, what was, what's this about he said that's where John Wesley prayed every day he said he would get up and he would pray not for 10 minutes, not for 20 minutes, not for an hour, a minimum of two hours a day. He would pray there for revival for England and for America and other places around the world before he did anything else. He wore that rug out. So the professor said, it's time to go back. Let's go, let's get on the truck or get in the bus and let's go. Starts doing the head count. There's one student missing true story goes back into the house and he hears a voice coming from upstairs praying do it again Lord do it again and Lord do it through me do it again Lord do it again and Lord do it through me professor walked in the room and let him finish his prayer and went over and put his hand on his shoulder told the young man it's time to go we gotta go and getting up from that place was a young man by the name of Billy Graham and God did it again well, I feel him. and God says I'll do it again I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Would you just make your way to this altar? Just as, as many of you can, just come into this altar right now. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.